When Morgan was 11, I was a little concerned with her attitude. Uh, she was given off this vibe of, I don't care. Nothing phases me. I'm not excited about stuff. I'm not bothered about stuff. I'm just kind of numb to life. And uh, as a dad, this grieved me, and I, and I figured it's probably due to some insecurities. And I, I felt like God gave me an idea to take her on a moose hunt. What moose hunt isn't going to cure a young girl of her insecurities? This is a, you know. But I thought, this is, this is not just me as a dad. I think God's giving me this idea. So uh, in December, you know, I apply for one of these youth permits, and she gets drawn for, for a youth moose hunt uh, over at Point Mackenzie, probably like easiest moose hunt in Alaska. I have hunted a lot, and I have never prayed in advance for my moose hunts, but I was burdened and uh, felt that this was going to be significant, and I prayed a lot in advance of that hunt. I felt like God wanted to do something significant in Morgan's uh, heart through this hunt. Well, I invited a friend to support the hunt because he had two four-wheelers. I'm like, I need your four-wheelers. You want to come on this moose hunt? Sure, I'll come. Uh, we encountered quite a few obstacles getting out into the field, including rolling one of his four-wheelers, flooding it, and it took us a few hours to figure out what's going on and how to restart this thing. Well, that night at camp, my buddy said, Mike, um, we, we need to turn back. We need to abort the mission. We need to go... We need to leave the field, and we need, we need to call it quits. Throw in the towel. And then I said, why? He said, look at all the, look at everything that's happened so far. I mean, God is obviously not in this, and he's telling us, he's giving us clear signals that we need to leave, and if we, if we you know, don't turn back now, something much more significant might happen, something much worse. I thought about it, and I, I thought, no. I don't agree with that. Just because it's hard, just because it's opposed, doesn't mean it's bad, right? These might just be part of, part of the experience where Morgan has to realize this, that good things don't just come easily, right? And plus, I had been praying about this. I really felt this was significant, so I, I ignored his advice, said, no, we're not going to leave. Well, Hunt went on, and... Uh, we actually had a, a fabulous hunt early in the morning. We find the moose, and it's down there by, right by side a lake. And uh, Morgan has her, you know, uh, I've taught her. We, we've, she knows how to shoot. We've done all that in advance. Uh, we took the time to put in the earplugs, right, and a reminder of the safety. And I, I have a little shooting stick, so I put this stick in the ground, and she rests the rifle over the shooting stick, and we're being all sneaky. Boom! She takes that shot, and the moose just, boom, falls over. Uh, and she, there was that moment, right, that moment where we realized we've got the, the moose. She looks at me, and we're both, you know, eyes locked. Yes, yes. And uh, so we go down. Uh, I did have a bad, dad, I told you about the bad daddy moment, right, where I'm, I figured it was good for her to hack uh, through the brain all by herself, so she's hacksawing and away, crying, and finally I said, is this a dumb, am I being dumb daddy? 
Yes! All right, all right, all right, stop, stop. You don't have to do that. But anyways, we, we had such a great, such a great trip. Um, afterwards, afterwards when, uh, for months, anytime I was with Morgan and I would tell people, hey, my daughter shot a moose, she filled the freezer with food and uh, she did it all by herself and, and adults would kind of double take because here's this 11 year old, really, 11 year old girl, you did that? Yeah. And she could see the genuine respect in their eyes. And it did something in her heart. Sabrina commented on it multiple times. I don't know what happened on that moose hunt, but she, is, she has changed. She seems to be uh, much more confident. And <clears throat> my buddy actually said later, best hunt I've ever been on. You know, we had, he had such a great time. <clears throat> and so my, uh, the reason I tell the story is, imagine if we had aborted just because things had gotten difficult. And if we'd thrown in the towel, we would have missed out on all that good stuff that I think God wanted for, for Morgan. Uh, we are in a series titled Come Back Kids. We're looking at the history of the Jewish return from Babylonian exile. And in our story today, Nehemiah sets out to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and he encounters so much opposition and so many obstacles. Uh, but rather than, <clears throat> rather than read that as a, a sign that God was not with him, uh, he is convinced that what he's doing is right and good, and he just figures a way uh, over each obstacle and how to press through the opposition. And, and the end result is a something really good. And I, <clears throat> I believe that this is a, an important um, spiritual truth, an important principle for us to grab uh, because I've encountered uh, many Christians who seem to believe that if God is in it, it's going to be easy, right? If God, if it's God's will, if God wants me to do it, then He's going to smooth the, the road. He's going to straighten out the path. The seas will be calm. It's going to be easy. And so if it gets difficult, if there's opposition, if I'm no longer enjoying myself, oh, I must have misheard God, and maybe He doesn't want me to do this. And, and the danger is you throw in the towel too early, you abort the mission too soon, and you might not get to uh, be used by God to achieve what other, you could otherwise have done. And you won't have that uh, great sense of accomplishment. A number of years ago, a, it wasn't even that long ago, this uh, a book for entrepreneurs came out titled Grit. And the whole point of it was how uh, the one thing that... Um, thank you. Yeah. I probably should drink that. Thanks. They had studied, now, now I drank too fast and it's down the wrong pipe. <laughs> the one thing that uh, these entrepreneurs all had in common is just grit. They stuck with it even when things got difficult. And because they persevered and didn't give up, eventually, you know, it, they had breakthrough and they were able to succeed. And I think that principle is not just true for uh, entrepreneurs in the business world. I think it's true for 
anyone in the kingdom of God who wants to do something significant. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. So we're going to begin, and I'm going to be focusing in on uh, the opposition Nehemiah and the Jews faced rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Chapter 2, verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, namely that they were beginning to rebuild the walls, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So here they are ascribing bad motives, right? What are you doing, and why are you doing it? I know what you're doing. You're trying to rebel against the king. You want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that you can uh, declare independence from the king of Persia. Boy, that's when you set out to do something good. Uh, oftentimes, people will uh, ascribe to you bad motives. Think about the high school kid who gets a dream to go on a mission trip. I want to go on a summer mission trip. And then somebody says, I know what you really want. You just want other people to pay for your vacation. That's what this is about. And imagine if that goes into the heart and, and then that high schooler says, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want people to think that about me. I'm not going to then go. Well, how did Nehemiah reply or respond Verse 20, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. In other words, God's with us in this. And we, his servants, will arise and build. Our motivation is to serve God. So he just tells the truth. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Uh, there we, that's the real reason that, uh, that Sanballat, the Horonite, who's actually a Samaritan. By the way, you've probably heard about the tension that existed in Jesus' day, great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, here's some of the historical background to that. The Samaritans, non-Jews living in the Promised Land, uh, attempted every which way to stop the Jews from returning and regaining power and prosperity. You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people. So you have to remember that uh, when the Assyrians and the Babylonians hauled the Jews off into exile, they resettled non-Jews in the land. And so when the Jews come back from 70 years of exile in Babylon, they come back to a promised land that has a lot of non-Jews in it. And those non-Jews, those Gentiles, have the power. And they are not wanting the Jews to regain their rights and their power and their influence. And so they're resisting. Now chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Anger, mockery, that's another form of uh, opposition to doing good. So think about the, uh, the kid who comes home and says, Mom, Dad. I have repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, and I now want to follow him. And rather than, yay, that's good, they hear, what, we're not a Christian family. What the heck are you doing? That's ridiculous. We are not 
support, we refute, we, we forbid you from going to church. We don't want you reading your Bible. If we catch you reading your Bible and praying, right? Verse 2, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. They don't have what it takes to be successful. You don't have what it takes to be successful. Yes, you have big dreams, but those dreams are, are bigger than you. You can't do it. You're going to fail. You know what? This is just a temporary enthusiasm for Jesus. You'll grow out of it. And so the you know, so why even start, right? Hey. And and sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it comes from people close to us. You know what? I know that sounds really nice and I know you're well-meaning, but you need to be realistic and you need to count the cost. I uh, think about a friend uh, of mine who told his dad, I, and this was a church-going family, and he tells his dad, I want to become a pastor, and I think I'm going to go to seminary, and his dad said, no, 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 no. That's a waste of your talent, son, and uh, you're going to just go into debt. You won't be able to provide for your family. Dumb idea. Don't do it. You'll end up regretting it, so don't even start. Well, how does Nehemiah reply, respond? Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. He prays. He, he hands over to God uh, their, their claims of you, you won't succeed. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Boy, when the people have a mind to work, when Clearwater Church, we together decide to do something, it's amazing what we can do and how fast we could do it. Well, so we're halfway done, right? The job is, the wall is, is built to half its height, so they're halfway done. We read verse 7, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, the group of uh, opposition is growing. You now have the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. These are the peoples living all around Jerusalem. The, the non-Jews have been uh, riled up, and they are not happy about uh, the potential, well, the ascendancy of the Jewish people. When they heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. They are going to uh, actively interfere. They're going to use physical violence to slow down, stop, confuse what's happening. Uh, a dear friend of mine, Saji Lucas, he uh, started a mission to India. Well, he's from India. When he told his father that he had become a Christian, uh, his father beat him to 
an inch of his life and then kicked him out of the family. I, dis, I disown you as my son. Get out of here. Uh, a few years ago, Sabrina and I went and visited Saji and the, and the mission that we as a church support, uh, Reaching Indians Ministries International, and, and we were in um, one of the uh, states within India, uh, and we were there to visit a Bible college, and we couldn't visit the Bible college because uh, there had been a riot. They, they had done a baptism of a Hindu who had converted to Christianity, and they they baptized this new believer, and uh, the Hindus who heard about it in, living nearby came and rioted, and they uh, set parts of the Bible college on fire, and so the authorities just shut it down. We couldn't go there. They couldn't operate the Bible college uh, because of the threat of radical Hindu violence, and uh, this is still the case in lots, uh, many parts of the world where if you try to go on mission, you try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, there can be literally physical backlash. Verse 9, what does Nehemiah do? And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. This is a famous verse because uh, it kind of describes uh, good Christian wisdom. We pray, God protect us, and we strap on our swords. And uh, God will protect us and maybe protects us through, through the wielding of the sword. And so don't make the mistake of thinking, you know, the truly spiritual act is prayer and only prayer. Uh, sometimes God wants to uh, answer your prayers and keep you safe through your own diligent efforts. But, but don't rely on yourself. You can still be active and rely on God. Verse 10, in Judah it was said... The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So in Judah, that's just another way of saying amongst the Jews, right? Uh, we're halfway through the job, and we're tired. We're exhausted. And when you're tired, uh, you can get defeated. You can be discouraged. Uh, and if you... I can almost guarantee that if you set out to do something good and it takes some time, your, the, the, the energy of the, uh, of the beginning, the enthusiasm of the beginning will wane and you'll end up getting tired. <laughs> At some point, you're going to be like, I am so exhausted. I don't think I have what it takes to finish. I'm, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I want to quit. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So you've got exhaustion amongst the ranks, discouragement that comes from exhaustion. You see, I, you know, there's a reason the Bible uh, just identifies opposition after opposition, obstacle after obstacle. It's making a point. It's saying they didn't give up despite all of the hardships. They figured a way out. They prayed to God. They kept at it. And ultimately, God gives them success. Verse 11, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So there's this plan in place for a surprise attack. 
Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. All right, so what's happening? Not all of the Jews are rebuilding a wall. Uh, some of the Jews are still out there doing their own things, and, and they're living amongst the Gentiles, and they're hearing uh, the fact that their non-Jewish neighbors are getting increasingly agitated about the fact that the walls are being rebuilt in Jerusalem, and they're hearing these statements about, we're going to do a sneak attack, and we're going we're to you know, kill people, and and the Jews are, uh, who aren't rebuilding the wall are getting nervous. And they're thinking, uh-oh, this violence is going to, it's going to start spreading. We're going to get caught up in this, right? They're not, they don't care enough about rebuilding the walls to actually be there on mission, but they don't want to be hurt as a byproduct. And 10 times they send delegations to Nehemiah and their relatives and neighbors, and they say, come back, return to us. In other words, stop what you're doing. You're, agi you're, you know, you're agitating everybody, and uh, we're, things are going to go bad. We're going to get caught up in this. Please stop. You're harming me. Right? So <clears throat> mom and dad say, you know what? We're going to open our home once a week, and we're going to just invite strangers in, and we're going to minister them, or maybe we're going to run a, a, a small group. And, and one of the kids is like, No! I don't want weird, strange people in my house. And I don't want you to do that. You're going to negatively affect my life. Right? Or, or, or one spouse gets, gets a vision for you know, increased giving to some mission in the world. I, I want to support more, uh, um, more orphan kids or more World Vision kids. And, uh, and the other spouse is like, are you kidding? I want to buy that new fly rod, and now there's tension. And so sometimes, uh, sometimes the opposition to doing something you know, significant for God, doing a good thing comes from people that are close to us, that we love, that should be on our own, you know, we think of as on our team. How does Nehemiah respond to all this? Verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, the most vulnerable spots in the wall, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So they, they get ready to repel this supposed surprise attack. It's not going to be a surprise anymore because Nehemiah organizes resistance. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. In other words, once the... Uh, once the non-Jews realized that it wasn't going to be a surprise attack and the Jews were ready for them, they decided not to attack. And, and the, the immediate threat calms down. The Jews go back to work. However, from that point on, um, half of the Jews uh, stay armed and on guard, and the other half works. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers 
So now we have division within the ranks, infighting. So you've got people involved in building the wall who are mad at other people involved in building the wall. What's going on? Well, uh, all chapter 5 pretty much des describes this. But the bottom line is um, some of the Jews who were involved in building the wall um, were basically impoverishing themselves while on mission. Uh, either they just weren't spending any time harvesting, and so their, you know, their families were, gonna go, were in danger of going hungry, or they had actually already mortgaged some of their belongings and, uh, and houses and things in order to kind of fund the work. Or in the most extreme case, they were so far into debt, they'd actually had to hand over ownership of their fields, and even sold themselves and their childrens into some kind of an indentured servitude. Uh, and so this was obviously, this financial stress was uh, becoming more significant in their mind and heart than the mission of rebuilding the walls. So what does Nehemiah do once he you know, sees this? Is He calls a giant assembly and he says, here's what we're going to do. Be by the way, it was, it was Jews who were um, indenturing other Jews. So they were kind of, th those with money were lending money with, at interest and taking advantage of their fellow Jews uh, during this whole, and, and, their, and their need during this process. So Nehemiah says, here's what we're doing. If you, uh, if someone owes you, if a fellow Jew owes you money, their debt is canceled. If you have somehow gained ownership of their property, it goes back to them. All debts are canceled so that everybody has financial freedom in order to focus on the mission because that's what's important, and, in, and I'll do it myself. Now, Nehemiah had not charged interest to anybody, but he was giving out loans like crazy. And so uh, funding this rebuilding the wall cost Nehemiah a lot of money, including the tax. He said, the king of Persia had given him the right to tax the people of the land in order to fund his household. And he tells him that he, every day he fed over 100 people in his own household. And he said, never once did I take the king's tax because I didn't want to add to the financial burden of the people. So, you know, the fact of the matter is doing good things often hits your pocketbook. <laughs> and that's a, that could be an obstacle. How, how much are you willing... Uh, to spend in order to get something good done. Verse 6. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Okay, the walls have now been built. Although up, up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. So not 100% complete. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at, at, at Hakepharim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Okay, so now it's like we got to, we, let's just, at least let's decapitate the leadership. Let's take Nehemiah out. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Okay, an open letter means this is, this is public. So this isn't just for Nehemiah's hearing, it's for Nehemiah and all the other Jews. And in it was written, quote, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you, Nehemiah, wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. Which king? The Persian king. And now the Persian king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. They're just determined to get Nehemiah out onto the plain of Ono so that they can do him harm. And so now it's this threat of they're just flat out lying, right? Uh, but we're going to tell the Persian king that you are trying to set yourself up as the king of Judah and rebel. And, uh, you know, we're going to, this is what we're going to, we're going to tell the king of Persia if you don't come out and meet us. So flat out lying, right? I had a, I had a professor in Bible college uh, tell this story to, he said, all right, you budding young you know, pastors, you need to realize that there are some wicked people out there who, uh, who want to take, will want to take you out of ministry. And this is what happened to me one time. He said, I was, I was in a pastorate. I got a call from a woman saying, hey, I, I need you to come over and uh, I need some counseling. Please come to my house. And he said, I had a policy of, I never, you know, I didn't counsel women alone. So I asked my wife, will you come with me? Sure. Arrive at her house, knock on the door, the door swings open, she's standing there in a negligee, and behind her is a guy with a camera, boom, and he instantly takes a photo, and the whole purpose was to catch me in the photo with this scantily clad woman so they could assassinate my character and take me out of ministry. Fortunately, my wife was right there, and this is pre-digital camera, right? And so their plans were foiled, but he said, that happened to me. When you begin to preach the gospel and people see your ministry as a threat to their preferred way of life, you know, they might very well revert to lies and character assassination and other things to take you out of ministry. Be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The point is the opposition doesn't necessarily play fair, <laughs> Right? And so, how does Nehemiah respond to this one? He says, um, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. No, that's a lie. You're making it all up. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. He's facing a lot of opposition, a lot of obstacles. And it goes on. Here's the, here's the last one. Uh, verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, 
He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Now, who is Shemaiah? Shemaiah is a prophet of God. And he, he calls for Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, you know, doesn't... Nehemiah thinks he's going to visit a, a prophet of God. And Shemaiah declares to him supposedly a word from God. God has given me foreknowledge of the fact that your enemies are coming to kill you. In fact, they're coming uh, by night to kill you. And so God is giving you this warning so that you can be safe. He wants you to go to the temple and shut those big temple doors and, uh, and save yourself from this plot. So this is advice being given to Nehemiah from a prophet of God as an oracle of God. Oh, well, then this, this must be God's will. But it's, it's all, it's a lie, it's a ruse, it's deception. Verse 11, but I said, should, should, should such a man as I run away? I'm, I'm the governor appointed by the, by the uh, king of Persia and... I'm on mission with God. And what man should, such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. See, Nehemiah sniffs out the deception because he knows the law of God. And the law of God says you don't go into the temple if you're not a priest. And God would not tell Nehemiah to disobey a command he'd already given in the Bible, right? You know, if... if Anybody ever says, yeah, I know the Bible says blank, but God, uh, no, you're wrong. <laughs> the word from the Lord that you think you have heard, you didn't hear. It wasn't from God. So, he, and he, he's, verse 12, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. See, if he had, dis if he had listened to Shemaiah out of his fear and ended up going into the temple, he would have disobeyed a command of God and they could have said that he is not a, a, a godly leader. He shouldn't be following him. He's disobeyed the command of God. But boy, they're being so strategic. The opposition is ten tenacious, isn't it? The opposition is so tenacious, but Nehemiah uh, is even more so because of his faith. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So he, he has got people within his own camp, religious leaders who are, who are resisting him and trying to stop him. Sad. Well, we, we read the good news, chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Nehemiah encountered great opposition, many obstacles, but by faith he persevered. 
He had grit. He had tenacity. He kept at it. He refused to believe, oh, because it's hard, because we're exhausted, because there's infighting, because there's lies about me, because there are threats against my life. God must not be with me in this. God must not want me to do that. No, he knew God is, God is for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It's a good thing I'm doing. And it's not that complex. You read the Bible, you know the will of God. Evil should be resisted. Good should be done. Find an evil to resist, a good to do, and go do it. And what would have happened if Nehemiah had thrown in the towel and he had let the opposition knock him out or, uh, or the obstacles to derail him? What is the Jerusalem wall for you? What, what is the Jerusalem wall in your life? What good thing is, does God want to do through you? And when you figure that out, then you go for it. And you don't let hardship and you don't let uh, opposition derail you. Be tenacious by faith in the power of God and do something great. Now, it might not be for the history books, right? Uh, they might not write about you, but God knows. God sees it. And God will remember. I, I love this uh, about Nehemiah, chapter 5, verse 19. You think, why would he go through all this? He says, Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. God notice what I had to endure in order to rebuild these walls. And God does notice. He notices. And he notices the sacrifices you make. He notices the obstacles you overcome, the opposition you endure in order to do what is good. Now, last week we talked about, Pastor James talked about uh, how Ezra and Nehemiah were very different people. They had different giftings, different passions, and out of their uniqueness, they identified very different ways to build the kingdom of God. Uh, Ezra, the teacher, said people need more Bible knowledge, and he went to Jerusalem intent on teaching the people the word of God. Nehemiah, a government official, said people need better physical security, and he said, I'm going to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Very different people, very different missions. You have been created the way you have been created, with, with unique giftings, unique passions, unique interests. You have unique skills, unique experiences. You have a unique way that you can build the kingdom of God. Don't look at somebody else and say, oh, I don't have their giftings and their passions, therefore God wouldn't want to use me. Yes, He does. And you've got to figure out how, what, what good thing can I do and then go do it by faith, empowered by God. And, uh, and God will use you. And it will be significant in His eyes. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. What's your Jerusalem wall? Maybe right now you know what it is. Sometimes it's in this season. What's, my, what's the wall I'm being called to build in this season? It might be... I'm called, to be, I'm called to build a strong marriage right now. I'm called to raise up children of faith. I'm, I'm called to track down my wayward child. I'm called to pray for my grandkid, pray him into heaven. I'm called to be a witness 
for what is right at work. I don't know what your wall is, but wrestle with that with God. What is the wall that God is calling you to build? Maybe you are, are you're in it and you're maybe you're halfway through and you're exhausted. Or maybe you are actively opposed in, and you know I've got opposition to this good thing that I'm trying to do. Go to God. Figure out a way through it. What obstacle? Maybe you're maybe you're got a big obstacle in front of you. How does God want you to go through that? Go over that obstacle. I tell you, if, if we're we're here to do good works that God has planned, ordained for us to do before the foundation of the world, and in order to do it, we've got to be tenacious. We've got to have grit. We've got to not let ourselves be derailed. We've got to persevere by faith. Good things don't happen easily, usually. Lord, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. We want to be like Nehemiah. Help us in Jesus' name.